so loud. It's so y'all can't hear it, but now Zoom has a thing where when you start a recording, it has a very loud woman's voice. Not like a loud woman, but a woman's voice loudly. Um, <laughs> there is a difference <laughs> in the syntax. I can't of that stop sentence. picturing that now. <laughs> yeah. Um, that says this meeting is now being recorded, but it's very loud and it did not exist before and it, it throws us off now. So you guys can't hear it, but we can hear it anyway. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing. And I am Corwin Heller. Oh, look who's got a little punch in him today. Hey, um, methamphetamines. Oh, shouldn't have said that. Yep. I was going to say, unlike uh, Floyd Mayweather in the the fight, do you pay for fights? This is this is not anything we were planning on talking about today. But Josh, I don't pay for anything. <laughs> fair. Um, <laughs> do you bother trying to watch the fights in any way? I went to I streamed the fight yes um if I have to go to anywhere else but the sites that I've bookmarked for streaming sports events I no that's it I don't care enough but if it's there and available and it's working well yeah I'll stream it I have given I've given up a while ago on even Life? trying to watch it oh, yeah okay because for me it's like I've I've stayed up for so many fights that happen at like, you know, 1130 at night on the East coast, 12 o'clock at night on the East coast that ended in like 56 seconds that I'm like, fuck off. Like I right. burned so much sleep trying to do this. So I just wait for the next day to find out if it's worth yeah. me trying to find a recording of it online after the fact to just see how the fight went. Um, and let me tell you, it is, uh, it has proved useful in my time. Yeah, and like for me, it's one of those things where like I'm not big into fighting sports. Like college wrestling is about as far as I go for you know combat sports. Uh, so I don't really give a shit who wins. Like I watched the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight because a friend bought it, and I watched the Mayweather-McGregor one because a friend bought it. I never would have watched those fights or given a shit about those fights if. I had to go out of my own way to do so. Mm -hmm. I uh, I like combat sports when they're on, mm -hmm. but I also don't care much. Yeah, okay. So, like, if they're on and they're in front of you, you can get into it, you can watch it, you can enjoy it. But oh, totally. Yeah, the, totally the into it. The when the physical in outcome itself is meaningless. Very much so. I, I mean, it's it's just page, yeah. yeah, it's just not my jam. Um, I also know who I am in sparring matches because I've done them, and I am like too apologetic to do them, so they also like weird me out a little bit. Um, okay. Yeah, because like I used, I, I, I've done some sparring competitions and shit because I, you know, like do martial arts like and whatnot. Though, yeah. But like it is, um. I dude, I can't fucking hit people. I'm such a wuss. Like I can't hit people. I just feel so bad about it. Like on the inside, even that, even if that's what everyone's there to do, I just like, I just can't handle it. And so there's some, there's a little part of me that like can't get too into fighting sports because it's just, it just feels too brutal. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I never have been able to hit people mostly because I'm weak and I just don't get angry. So those two, I've hit people. They just never noticed. 
yeah it's like oh did did a fly land on me no oh corwin you look out of breath what's going on you okay yeah. you look very flustered <laughs> yeah i uh i i appreciate floyd May- floyd mayweather and his game um I don't get why people would pay that much money to watch a YouTuber do anything, but I guess, you know, fuck me. Um, the reason I went out of my way to like genuinely try and watch it was I was really hoping he would get his fucking lights knocked out, which didn't happen and was overall disappointing. But hey, I, it's something I can live with, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else anybody was expecting. Like, this is very much so Floyd Mayweather's game and has been since he destroyed his knuckles. So, um, like it's what he does. It's what he did to Manny Pacquiao. Like it's mm-hmm. he shows up, does not lose, and collects check. Like he, that's his game, and he's right. amazing at doing it. Nobody shows up, doesn't lose a fight, and collects a check like Floyd Mayweather. It is genuinely impressive. He is like to his credit, he is an excellent smart defensive fighter like he knows how to avoid getting hit he and knows 32. when to strike it's old as shit for boxing i thought it was even older than that but at the same time like i don't know um the style he plays he is fucking elite at he's 50 and 0 in his career yeah he's fucking elite he's one of the best boxers of all time it just doesn't tr- it's not a heavyweight title bout between you know muhammad ali and mike tyson even though they never fought like it's not enjoyable to watch but boy, it's it's excellent boxing. Yeah, it is very much so the science and the sweet science. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We didn't have that queued up at all. So anyway, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. And I was talking about other things that we usually talk about that we still don't know what we're talking about. Like meat um, and potatoes. I know something about meat, potatoes. Oof. Um, so the NFL has long been playing games in London. They've been doing it for... Actually, how long have they been doing it for? I didn't have that in front of me. I want to say like four or five years. Oh, I want to say it's longer than that. Really? I was going to say a decade. Okay, I'm going to look it up. NFL London games. 28 games over 13 consecutive seasons. So since 2008, basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, but anyway, since they've been doing that, which the first time. I suppose has been successful since they continued to do it. And certainly there must be a reason. Um, they've expanded a little bit. They played in Mexico a couple of seasons ago, pre-COVID. And now they're talking about expanding their European presence a little bit by playing in Germany. Um, and in addition to the London game, not in place of it or one of the London games, I guess, not replacing London as a site, but adding on to it for the European schedule. Um, which, okay. Um, I'm not sure I care. It's no different really logistically. Like there's no time difference between London and Germany that would be like, they're going very much so farther out of their way. It's, it's all a six hour time difference from the East coast. So sure. from that standpoint, it's like, I guess, whatever. Um, I, I, I still don't, I, I still don't know what they really get out of the London games outside of a little bit of in-person exposure to try to gin up morale. But uh, yeah, I mean that, which what I was saying, I guess what I'm getting to is I don't know why they would pick Germany. 
but uh, just imagine it's a large untapped market and that's really all they care to really dive into i don't i think it's i think it's really just a lot of testing waters and, and seeing if they could do something similar because i i can't imagine they're they have done 13 straight years of a london series they've done four years of a mexico series without it being financially successful has it been four years for mexico already? yeah i just looked it up we only had three games played because the conditions in 2019 were too shit for them to oh, do anything. Oh, that's right. I remember that story. Um, but yeah, they they um, yes. So I, I have to imagine it's a financial incentive and just them really wanting to go out of their way to make sure that they can have a expansion into Europe if that's something that is prudent. I guess I'm just surprised it's Germany and not one of Italy or Spain. Um. I feel like Spain is something that's also been talked about. Italy is sure. I mean, I feel like it's the same boat, you know, major European power, you know, population wise connected to American culture more than like a Croatia, I guess. But well, also Croatia, who lives there? <sighs> fucking Croatians, man. This is a well, country of the size of Delaware. Not literally, but essentially. Essentially, because yeah. we're Americans. We don't know geography. I don't know anything. I've never learned a fact. Um, what is Europe? Yeah, again, it's it's tough to really get a sense of why play these games anywhere if you don't know the the measurements that they're using to just to, to to you know signify success in any way. Like Corey and I talked about this with MLB and um, the rules that they try out in like the minor leagues and the non-affiliate independent leagues, which is like tough to really know what they're looking to get out of this and how they're going to judge whether these rule changes were a success or not. I, it's kind of like that for the market. I don't think it's at, but at the same time, I don't think there's anything like, I don't think there's a downside to them playing in Germany. Like, I don't think they're going to come away from it and be like, Oh man, we lost a billion dollars or like whatever. Um, the only thing that they'd be losing out on is the marginal difference between playing in Germany and potentially playing somewhere else that cares more but um even then i don't think that's really gonna matter i i i want to know how much of a quote-unquote success germany would be for them and like what that looks like but again Mm -hmm. it's information we're just never gonna have and i think like the only pushback i think they're really gonna get is um probably from fans really only that it's gonna be an early game and people don't want to wake up and see don't want to have to wake up that early to watch football outside of, you know, diehard fans. Um, I think they will get pushback from players because that does fuck with their schedule a lot. Not only that week with the jet lag, the time difference, but also the fact that you are traveling an extensive amount back and forth to Germany, to London. um, And you have games the week before you have games the week after I know teams get by weeks, uh, I believe the f- week after playing overseas, but at the same time, we've seen it happen in the past where that's not always the case. There's sometimes where it just can't work out like that or something comes up nine other excuses, whatever it may be that really fucks with the players. And I've, at least from what I've seen in the past or what I've heard in the past is it's, not something people or the majority of players on these teams really look forward to because of that wrench thrown in these cogs cogs not 
Cox. I will say, as an East Coast football fan, I love the London game because football starts at 9 a.m. here, which is just how people exist in California, and they can go fuck themselves at those 10 a.m. games. That is, I wish, my life. Um, I think now that I'm on a sleep schedule, that kind of like I'm out of college. I'm not waking up at like 11 o'clock on weekends trying to like sleep as much as I can. And I just naturally wake up at eight o'clock in the morning, like a fucking 80 year old man. Um, I'll definitely be able to enjoy it more this year. Yeah, dude, it's great. You're just like drinking your morning coffee. And instead of having like the news or a cartoon, whatever your vibe is on in the background. No, it's the NFL. It's great. It's a wonderful way to spend the day. Can I say how much I hate that sleeping in for me is 8 a.m.? Yes. Not even like the sleep itself is one argument, but just the fact that I'm at that point in my life. I'm too young for this. I'm 23. 8 a.m. should not be sleeping in. And you feel bad if you sleep in beyond that point. If I see like a 10 on my clock at all when I wake up, I panic. Dude, nine. I am stressed out if I wake up at nine. Uh, after like 930, I can get a, get away with it because I know I know if I'm sleeping in, it's good for me because I need to catch up on it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, that's ooh. where's all the where's all the day. Yeah. Where's the beef? Um. So yeah, I, did they announce who the? I'm trying to remember if I saw it. I have the article they up. Did um, who the game is gonna be? Wants the whole game seeks partner city. No, I guess no, they didn't. Uh, they did or maybe it was um um da 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 da. Oh, they're looking to play in Germany, and London was where they uh, have the actual game set. Yeah. Twice this year. Hey, the, the NFL... New York Jets, man. They're playing in London on the 10th. Woo, woo. 10th of what? The Jaguars. October. Ah, got it. I can see why that would be important information to share. There's several months. There's at least, there's at least six months where the NFL plays. I had no idea. Um, oh, actually, that's too many. Four, probably. Uh, yeah, but regardless, um, yeah, the NFL doesn't really play for six months. That'd be September through March, and it ends in February. So, anyway, um, fucking they should, the NFL should play a game on Fight Island. Yes, they should, because I do not see how it is possible for them to find a better place to have an NFL game. Maybe Alcatraz or like a prison island somewhere. I don't know. Rikers. Play your game on Rikers. Put the Jets in Rikers. I actually really want this now. I want the Jets to be the official. I will fucking drive my ass to Rikers Island every Sunday to watch the Jets play. Put us in Rikers. Do you think they would actually have a more rambunctious i guess i'll say audience crowd audience fucking you know crowd they don't the jets fans Jets fans do not need a more rambunctious crowd i have i go to many sporting events in a given season oh not many i know how people who go to a lot i go to several sporting events in the given season given year and jets fans are the only fans i ever see at games that get thrown out for fighting with each other 
<laughs> and where fists often get thrown. I swear to God, every game I go to, Jets fans get tossed for talking shit to other Jets fans and getting in fights with other Jets fans. It is the only team I, whose games I go to that I see it happen at. With I just, regularity, too. I don't think I've ever seen someone get into a fight at an NFL game. I've seen it happen at college football. I guess I really think that's just because of, you know... Um, the amount of NFL games I've been to compared to how many college games I've been to because it's a very big difference. Um, but yeah, all right. I believe you. I don't think you're lying to me. Yeah, so we, the, the Jets definitely don't need more rambunctious fans, but I will also take more rambunctious fans because, hey, you got to have a reason to go to that shit. So yeah. anyway. Um, so let's talk about Garrett Cole a little bit. Another little... Who's that? small minor bump in the sticky stuff situation that the MLB has been putting themselves in um, where Garrett Cole was asked point blank in a uh, Tuesday press conference, pregame press conference, uh, whether or not he used um, spider tack, which is one of the commonly used substances to that, that ball players use to make their glove a little more sticky. Um, and he basically fumbled around with words for like 45 entire seconds, um, including I think genuinely like eight or nine seconds of complete and total silence um, Mm -hmm. before saying basically something to the effect of, I don't know how to answer that. And when someone says, Hey, are you cheating? The answer shouldn't be, I don't know how to answer that. um, If you're not cheating and (laughs) And Core and I said on the show, like, you know, everyone's doing it. And it, it obviously, I don't think either one of us, based on our conversation on Monday, either one of us really, you know, we would both, I think, prefer to varying extents a crackdown of some kind. But it's tough to give a shit at this point in time since the rules are non-existent. And, you know, it's just basically who's lying is it anyway with shit on your hands. Naturally. Um, but, um, whoo, boy, he is getting uh, dragged on the timeline for that answer. Um, Corwin. Did you hear it? Do you care? Uh, I heard it. I just want to say something like this would never have happened if he was still on the Pirates. The Pirates are a classy organization that have never done anything against the best interest of the players or the game of baseball. Give him back. Pirates still haven't found out where first base is. So (laughs) Cabrian Hayes just got called out on a home run because he missed first base on his way around the bags. The Pirates have some severe issues that they don't need pine tar. I, I did not know that that was something that happens. And yes. Fucking hilarious. He was watching his home run travel, and while he was watching it to make sure it went into the stands, he just, like, missed first base entirely. I saw it happen in, I want to say, a college baseball game where they called him, they called a guy out for, you know, missing home plate after a home run. But I had no idea that it was uh, also something that happened to the Pirates. Yeah, like the same day, too. It was freaky. Also, that college player absolutely touched on plate. But- I, yeah, I watched it like four times. And I hate that you can't like see the best angle of home plate. But he clearly drags his foot across it. He touches it with both feet. He touches it with the first foot and then also drags his second foot. But whatever. Um, <sighs> let's back to Garrett Cole. Oh, uh, what do I think about it? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't like that any of these guys are using this kind of stuff. I don't necessarily believe that Garrett Cole is juiced up. Um, based off of the reactions from the Mets players about Jacob DeGrom and how adamant they were that he's able to do all this without it, and he's also done it you know, consistently upticking every single year since coming into the league. I, I am one to believe that. Um, Garrett Cole kind of had that jump when he went to the Astros. And if it was any other team, I would believe it as, you know, just a, hey, a team saw something that they could fix and they did it. But seeing as the Astros are kind of not known for their fair playing strategy, it's a possibility. Look, if he's going up in front of everybody in a year when it's essentially legal to do this and it's kind of opened up where everyone is using it and he's you know, still saying ad- staying adamant that he's not, uh, sure, I'll believe him. I also didn't watch the press conference, so I can't say based off his body language um, whether I'd, I'd believe his reaction because I didn't find out about this until the second we started. Um, yeah, sure. It's, I, I'll start with this. Corwin and I have largely avoided talking about individual players and how this potential crackdown would affect them barring conversations around Trevor Bauer, but that's mostly just because he made himself kind of the face of this. So of course we're going to talk about him. And one of the reasons we did that is that one, it's just just so many fucking players. Like what are we just going to sit here and name pitchers for an hour and a half? I mean, uh, fuck, that sounds awful. Um, and for another thing, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter because it's not the player's issue. It's baseball's issue. And I think that's really my takeaway from the, I was about to say the DeGrom press conference, the um, Cole little presser and that fucked up answer, which is, it, it very much so reads like he wasn't expecting to get asked about his personal use with it and more so about the league um and his answer very much so seemed more so league oriented than it did or at least like in his mind he had it about the league and not about himself and that's how it should be like turning this onto individual players is just gonna make this steroids 2.0 that's what we've been talking about is what we want to avoid since this shit fucking started like No one wants to see this become steroids 2.0 where it was, you know, totally up for grabs by the way MLB was enforcing it. So everybody hopped into the bandwagon. And then after MLB said, "Eh, actually, no, then it became a series of personal choices. And, you know, did he, did he, did he, does this record count, whatever, Mm -hmm. after the fact. And we're seeing it happen again before our very eyes, because if a reporter goes to Garrett Cole and asks him about his usage, well, now we're making it the personal choice shit instead of the idea that some several people came to the league or at least came to public forums and said pitchers are cheating and the results are far more severe than they have been with the same type of cheating in the past. You should do something. MLB said, fuck you, bitch. 
We will not get involved until it benefits us personally. And then all of a sudden there's a CBA and half the players are pitchers and half those pitchers are cheating. And now all of a sudden MLB thinks it might have a, uh, a card to play in a negotiation and is going to turn this into a player issue when it's been a league issue for years. It's one of those things where if he denied it completely, I would have believed he wouldn't, he wasn't using it and wasn't using it actively. The way he responded and the things he said lead me to believe he is using it. And any other piece, any other period of time, I would be adamant that that is a bullshit thing to do. It's not fair to the game. You know, we want it cracked down and this is just one of those years where I can't be upset that he does because MLB came out and said, Hey, we're not going to punish anyone for using it. And it's not like you cannot use it in that case. I mean, yes, Garrett Cole should absolutely be one of those players that is above that, you know, his skill and, you know, his history, you don't need to go, you know, don't need to go crazy with the, you know, foreign substances that you're using, you know, use rosin, use the stuff that's been used for the past decade by pitchers, all levels of the game, the level of where they're taking it just drives me nuts and is taking away from baseball. So I can't really hold it against Garrett Cole. Cause you're right. You know, it's, it's the blame is on the league and the blame is on the fact that there really is no control over this. And, there's no reason for these players not to take advantage of it while they can, because guess what? It's their paychecks. You know, it's their stat lines. It's their arbitration cases. It's their next free agency signing. You have to, because it's your career. It's your you know livelihood. You know, you can't, you know, if you go into negotiations and say, Hey, my stats sucked last year. I had a four, seven, five ERA, but I'll tell you what, I was the only pitcher out there not using any kind of substance whatsoever all those GMs and all those, you know, mediators for arbitration are just going to be like, cool. You're still not as good as baseball as the contract you're asking for. You're not getting it. He signed a long-term contract. So obviously that's another detail to kind of include here, but at the same time, you can't let yourself fall behind the league. I don't know. I don't, I, I can't get upset at him for this, this year, any other year I would final answer, lock it in. Yeah, and you know, obviously he's going to get picked on a little bit extra because he's the $36 million man, largest contract in uh, baseball um, in terms of total size. Obviously, Bauer has the highest AAV contract, um, but... Fucker. I, 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 I mean, yes. I hope that beat reporters stop asking individual players about their individual experiences with it. I don't think that's appropriate. Um, again, since this is a league issue, you know, mm-hmm. like if the league said everyone could take Adderall before the games, which I don't know if it's a prohibited substance. I don't know. What, what makes you I think so? I would imagine it is. I know it isn't like NASCAR. I don't know about any other sport really i don't i think it might be for football too i don't know 
I would imagine it is, but whatever illegal substance, if MLB said you could use it or at least never put a firm stance down saying you couldn't or like give give outfielders gigantic, goofy, gigantic gloves so that they can catch everything. Every every outfielder has like a six foot glove for no reason. You just put it on the ground. You caught them all. You got them. You nailed it. You've You've won baseball. Give every shortstop moon shoes. Like whatever goofy thing that, you know, someone thinks might give them an edge if MLB was just like, I mean, we're not going to say no. Right, um, yeah. And then they did it. Like, is that their fault? I, you, you're like, like everyone says, you're going to do whatever you can do to get an advantage as long as the league doesn't say no. And the league find people all the time for wearing the wrong color shoes. Like they can find people, for whatever they want and oh, do God, it I with about abandon. That whole fucking shoe bullshit. Yeah, yeah, they did it a lot. And they wrote letters to the players like, we know we're really sorry. It's just the way it is. And all the players are like, fuck you. Like, you make the rules. You fuck could just not do this. Goddamn. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's irresponsible to put it on individual players outside of Trevor Bauer because <laughs> I just don't like him. Um, but even even with him, honestly, because again, it it's not their problem to solve. And guess right. what? If you leave it up to them to solve it, they're not going to solve it because it's not no. their problem to solve. And they don't necessarily want to because, well, they're at doing least fine. Up in, yeah, up until now, they've been making great money and it's been exciting. And hey, there's still people out there that think pitching is the best thing about baseball. And up until now, it really didn't negate offensive numbers offense was fine we had the juice ball hey cool pitchers are getting into it now too this is great we're rocking on all cylinders baseball's moving and grooving and then now we're seeing it this year's where people seeing it this year god words are hard where nobody can hit and pitchers are absolutely dominating and we have seven no hitters and it's like oh shit we this is fucked this is bad yeah yeah. So, you know, I will see if this trend continues, but I do not like it. I do not, Sam, I am. I do no. not like green eggs and ham. We're on the same wavelength today. That's where I went to. Oh, nice, buddy. Nice, nice, Thanks, nice. Thanks. Toy, toy, toy. Toy, toy, toy. Uh, so another Garrett Cole news. He is pitching tonight for the New York Yankees. That is um, the New York Yankees. I'm that's okay. Um, yeah. uh, tonight being June 9th, obviously this releases on June 10th. Suck a dick. Um, and Gary Sanchez has been on a little hot streak recently and is still not catching for Garrett Cole tonight, even though he came off of a very nice game yesterday in which he went two for five with a um, single and a home run. Instead, Kyle Higashioka is catching for Garrett Cole today. And that leads to the question of at what point is the personal catcher fucking dumb? Um, because actually, no, let's start with a greater conversation about the idea of the personal catcher. So the idea of the personal catcher is that you have a pitcher who is very good, that you have a lot of faith in, that you want to stay really good and you will accommodate his lunacy because he's very good. And he says, I prefer to throw the ball to that guy. And the teams go, 
yes, you do. <laughs> and then they put that guy in catcher's outfits and put him behind home plate. And usually that catcher sucks. Why? I don't know. But usually that catcher sucks. Um, and the only play time he gets is when that pitcher's pitching. Hence, personal catcher. We will hamper our team offensively because this guy sucks. But it will we feel as though it will pay off defensively because he is a rhythm, cadence, comfortability with the pitcher. So, Corwin Heller, what mm-hmm. do you think of the concept of the personal catcher? I definitely think it has its place. Um, I'm more familiar with it now that I kind of have gotten... Corwin? So the personal catcher isn't really something I have ever really experienced before this season when you Darvish and Victor Carantini came over. Um, it just was never something that was a common occurrence in the pirates game. I watched, it was never something that really affected my, you know, watching of baseball. It wasn't something I really went out, out of my way to really learn anything about because it, it really didn't matter to me. But I mean, you Darvish is a guy who throws like seven different pitches he has an excellent defensive catcher, you know, with the Cubs, with Victor Carantini, who, you know, they work very closely with. They have a very good connection. And listen, if a pitcher like you, Darvish, who has a pitch mix that's so diverse that it may be difficult to fully grasp or uh, anticipate if you aren't very familiar with catching you, Darvish, I can understand wanting to have that personal catcher. I can very much understand how you build that chemistry. And when you have your top ace on top of that, being the guy who has this personal catcher and by all means, it's not like, you know, Victor Carantini is a truly black hole of offense, but you know, he's definitely not an offensive catcher. I can understand why the team would value that, you know, a lights out seven inning outing from you Darvish where he doesn't let up a run and gets 12 strikeouts is absolutely worse worth giving up the chance of a home run or a hit or two or something like that, whatever the drop off in offensive numbers at the catcher position are. Um, right. So I, I fully get it. And if, you know, Kyle Higashioka, which I think I'm pronouncing that correct. Yeah, you got it. Cool. Uh, is that helpful to Garrett Cole and allows him to kind of unlock that next level of production of, you know, movement, comfortability. Sure, I'm all for it. But at the same time, you know, Gary Sanchez, I don't think is a bad defensive catcher. Maybe not the best at framing and whatnot, but I know he's got a cannon of an arm, you know, for throwing guys out. He's great offensively and has been, you know, for most of the year for the Yankees. This is one of those situations where, you know, the Yankees offense has been fucking awful if, you know, you will concede that notion. And I don't get why they would want to completely tank their ability to produce offense, especially when you're in a really great position tonight to win a baseball game because you've got Garrett Cole out there pitching and it's Garrett Cole. He's pitched really well with so many different catchers. I could imagine him and Gary Sanchez isn't a 
huge jump up in production versus that, you know, so it's an opportunity cost decision. And I don't think it's quite there for this particular decision. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. There's a slotting scale of, you know, it, it, like you said, there's an opportunity cost to it. There's a marginal utility to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like Victor Caratini so far this season has a 95 WRC plus. So like you said, that is not bad. 95 mm-hmm. is fine, especially from a catcher. Mm-hmm. You'll take 95 all fucking day. Catchers are usually sure, some of your worst hitters. So um, I I do also think, and you know, we've seen teams in the playoffs even give in to the personal catcher business. Um, and I I think there has to be some, some internal calculus that has to be done as to when and why you're using a personal catcher. Now, if the Yankees offense was rolling with or without Gary Sanchez or Kyle Higashioka, mm-hmm. then yeah, catch whoever the pitcher wants. I don't give a shit. Like, what does it matter? Right. If neither of those guys are contributing in a meaningful way and the offense is moving fine without it, then uh, yeah, okay, who cares? I mean, I'm, I, I want to see tot- Gary, but who cares? I'm totally fine with Victor Carantini going out there, you know, every three, four days because I know the rest of the Padres offense can handle that loss. Yeah, they can light it up. Right. Um, and I think there also has to be the question asked of how much do we need the pitching versus how much do we need the hitting? Mm-hmm. What is the added weight realistically of not using the personal catcher? And obviously catcher ERA is a horrible start stat. Um, because it, it just never means anything. But, you know, like, how much worse? Last time Garrett Cole went out there, gave up five runs in, like, four innings or some shit like that. And it has nothing to do with Kyle Higashioka. No. And if he gave up five runs being caught by Gary Sanchez, it wouldn't have much to do with Gary Sanchez. Sometimes you suck. Everyone sucks sometimes, especially in baseball. It is a game of failure. It is a tough sport. And I'm just not sure it matters. And like you said, he's had other catchers. And with the Yankees struggling offensively, Gary Sanchez performing well, and Kyle Higashioka performing poorly, I'm not sure it matters. In the playoffs, I actually might get it a little bit more because if you can win a game 1-0, Obviously, you can't build a team around that for a long stretch of time because scoring zero, holding your opposition to zero runs for 162 games is a nonsense strategy. In the playoffs, though, going for like one-off outings from one of your top guys and meeting his, accommodating his superstitious needs in order to get the best outing you possibly can where this individual game actually holds a lot of weight and bearing yeah okay i actually get it more in the playoffs with the singular nature of those performances but for a full season fuck yourself like go fuck yourself put garrett cole in front of me right now i'll tell him to go fuck himself get get caught by gary sanchez you would not tell garrett cole if garrett cole walked into your house right now you would not tell him to go fuck himself also, uh, no, hold on. Because if Garrett Cole walked in my house right now, I would absolutely tell him to go fuck himself because how did he get into my house? 
I don't think you would. I think you would be so. I think you would be truly speechless if Garrett Cole just kicked your door and was like, uh, "I don't even think he has to say anything." If Garrett Cole kicked your door in, you would be speechless. I'd I'd be like, take you your wel- Kermit you the Frog ass him. voice and get the fuck out of here. You would welcome him with open arms, and you would ask him to sign so much memorabilia. He'd come in and be like, "Hey, dude, I'm here to fuck you," and I'd be like, "Get the fuck out of here." Mahomes, is that you? Oh, also, yes. <laughs> um, I definitely get what you're saying about the playoffs. Like pitching just matters so much more in the playoffs. Getting a solid outing from your pitchers in the playoffs is so much more valuable than. You know, the chance of a, a couple extra singles, a couple extra, you know, not even a couple extra, like the chance of like an added run or two, um, because I really don't think the offensive drop off in that case is all that much. Again, Gary Sanchez is different. He is different offensively as a catcher than, you know, the rest of the league. I don't necessarily think Kyle Higashioka is that, you know, exceptional as a defensive catcher to warrant this. Like, I think there are absolute differences between the two catchers where it would make complete perfect sense. I don't think the defense in the defensive metrics is anywhere close to the difference in offensive metrics, Um, which again, I am not a Yankees fan. I don't watch them nearly as diligently as you do. I would not know nearly as well as you do, but at the same time, from any perspective, this kind of just doesn't make all that much sense. Would you like to hear some some numbers? Sure. Yeah, oh, come on. Sure. Some more enthusiasm. Yeah, dude. I want to hear all the numbers. Do some up for me. Put them in the blender. Put Ooh, them in processor. me, Daddy. Um, all right. So for the season, Gary Sanchez's WRC Plus is 108. That means he's 8% better a hitter than the league. Kyle Higashioka is sitting clean at 98. That is 10 percentage points or 10 points of WRC plus below Gary Sanchez. So from a season long perspective, them's the gap. I also have a split here going back uh, a a calendar month. So going from five, nine, completely arbitrary. I didn't like cherry pick the date at all because I don't like when people do that. So I literally just went, Five is six nine today. I went back to five nine, random day, just one month ago today. Would you like to know? Would you like to guess Gary Sanchez's WRC plus in that time? One oh three, one eighteen, one eighteen, eighteen percent better the hitter than MLB average. Would you like to guess? Kyle Higashioka's WRC plus over the same stretch of time. 91. Eight. Eight. Are you fucking? Are you sh- no what? numbers in front. No numbers behind. Just the number. Eight. So zero. Zero eight point zero. Yes, that's fucked. What he is can batting. You give me some defensive metrics after this to like see if we could figure this shit out. But hey, keep going with the stat line. This I is... will. I will. 
So in in that time frame, Gary Sanchez is batting 247, 326, 468 as an OPS of 793. Okay. His bat is 349. Um, WRC plus again of 118. In that same stretch, uh, Kyle Gashoka is slashing 129, 206, 161. That is an OPS of 367. OPS of 367. His OPS is 40 points higher than Gary Sanchez's on base. Um, and the, his BABIP is 182, um, WRC plus again of eight. His weighted on base is 176. Gary's is 339. They, they are having wildly different stretches as of right now. Oh, my God. Can you can we go into defensive numbers, please? Uh, like, I'm going to pull some more up. I just I, – I, okay, I'm going to stop talking or attempt to talk. Uh, sure thing. Um, so Fangraphs, which is the site that I am on, um, has uh, framing statistics on it. I don't actually know what the units of measurement are because I didn't prepare to look at it because I'm not usually on Fangraphs. Sure. Um, but whatever the unit here is, um, whatever it represents, I'm going to assume it's outs above average or maybe strikes additional strikeouts taken. I, the, the, my biggest gripe with fan graphs and I have, I've long been, um, I've, I've long been calling for this is that they don't have hover over descriptions for their stats. You have to go to their glossary and then, hope to find you have to go to the glossary then click on a different link then try to find it it's it's a really really bad system i i don't i don't so get it on baseball reference there is a total fielding runs above average and in his 23 starts he has a total runs added of negative one, which put okay. him at negative six for the year. So over the course of a season, he is on pace to, even with his, you know, barely starting, you know, only 23 starts of negative six runs. He's going to cost your team six runs over the course of the season. Not quite great defensive numbers based off of that. Right. I, I wish I had... So catcher framing, I think, is just a war. So it's how much better or worse you are, which I understand, but I still don't know what it, what the total, like one war is one win above replacement. You are contributing one game's win worth of additional contribution to your team. I don't know what it's leading towards. Like, I don't know. Like, so for 2021, Kyle Gashoka is sitting at 3.2 for his frame stat, but I don't know if that's 3.2 wins seems aggressive for framing. So maybe strikes strike outs strike outs being the most severe. I would think that would go towards strikes being a little bit small. Um, but regardless, I guess we'll just kind of rock with it. Um, 3.2 for Kyle Higashioka uh, for Gary Sanchez. It's um 
I do I wait what? Why is it? Oh, there it is. Sorry, I lost myself. Um, negative zero point two, which okay. essentially zero. Now, I will also add the caveat, and this is part of the uniqueness of looking at catcher statistics for a personal catcher. Um, the idea of catcher framing is that you get your really the core of it is get all the strikes actually called strikes. And then if you're really good, get some balls called strikes. Um, now doing this, yep. doing this with a guy who's a personal catcher for one of the top five pitchers in baseball, though, I, it, you're probably going to skew his stats towards looking better because you have one of the top five pitchers in baseball on the mound. And that guy's probably going to, one, hit his spots way better than a more average pitcher. And then two is probably more likely to get calls because he is better and that carries weight and because umps are bad. Um, umps are very bad. Yeah. So, but mostly the first thing, mostly the idea that like, you know, if Garrett Cole's throwing on the corner, there's a better chance that that pitch is going to land in the zone on the corner than if a more middle of the road guy did. And that's going to add to Kyle Gashioka's framing stats because that strike call will get called a strike call because it hit its spot better than a pitch by a more average guy being caught by somebody else. So also just large grain. It's like, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Okay. Yeah. That all makes sense to me. Does it? Yeah. Let's go with it. Why not? Now, obviously, Kyle Higashioka might still be a, a better framing catcher than Gary Sanchez. He probably is. I mean, that's been one of Gary's weaknesses since he came up in the league. I also declare I don't give a shit. Bankruptcy. Um, it's just a, we're talking the difference between 110 points of WRC plus versus the difference in 3.5 whatever units of who gives a shit in catcher framing. Like, that's the level we're at. It's stupid to even make it a conversation. It's It truly blows my fucking mind. Like, it really does. Like, what if I told I you... I understand it. You could replace... Um, who's playing first base for the Yankees? Chris Gittens Luke with Fred. Vlad Guerrero Jr. Obviously, you would do that. At no cost. They're both on your team. It's like you have Vlad Guerrero on the bench, but you're playing Chris Gittens anyway. Everyone look at you like you're a fucking idiot. And it's no shade of Chris Gittens. It's no. zero shade of Chris Gittens. It's just literal, actual Vlad Guerrero. Now, obviously, Gary Sanchez isn't performing as well as Vlad Guerrero is. He's having an MVP season. But mm-hmm. the gap, my friends, the gap between him and the guy who is occupying his playing time is severe it is and it's so fucking hard to sit here and try and find the reasoning try and find the rationale like obviously yankees management you know aaron boone brian cashman to some extent i assume i assume he has some input on player personnel decisions things like that he claims he does not I feel like he's in that Yankees brain trust of guys making decisions. Regardless, 
I have to imagine the Yankees brain trust to some extent made this decision based off of some analytical number or figure or something that's like, okay, this is giving us the better chance to win. And I just don't know. I, like, I don't know where to find that perspective or where to find that kind of reasoning. And, you know, obviously it's tough to quantify the like emotional and mental part of the game. We've talked about it a lot. We talked about it with, um, um, oh my God, I just lost his name. Uh, Max Greenfield, Jesus Christ. Oh, uh, yeah, when, yeah. when he was on the podcast, like that, like that's a big, big part of performance. Absolutely. And it's a part of the game that we're just, you're just not going to be able to quantify. Um, and that might be a big part of the whole personal catcher thing. And again, I'm not going to sit here and say that the personal catcher doesn't have a time or place because um, it does. But I think that that's it. It has a time and place that is not carte blanche to do it for an entire season. I think at some point, like if they had fuck Gary Sanchez for the moment, let's say they had Mike prime Mike Piazza prime Mike Piazza on the bench. And they were struggling to score runs the way the Yankees are currently struggling to score runs. I don't care who Gary Sant- um, uh, Garrett Cole wants to throw pitches to. If we are struggling to score runs and Mike Piazza is fresh to play, not coming day game after night game or any of that shit, doubleheader, whatever, fucking play Mike Piazza. Like, play the guy who's going to get you the runs because you're not scoring them. And you need them. And I'm fucking tired of watching this shitty team. <laughs> They're not shitty. Like, I'm just frustrated. It'd be like sending out like Michael King for you know or Aldis Chapman for you know save save opportunity after save opportunity. Words are just not coming out today. Fucking Christ! Like oh, we see something. We think Michael King can get it, and it's like well, Aldis Chapman has been pitching really really well this year. You know, way better than Gary is offensively, but, you know, just as an example. And Michael King has shown some fucking awful stuff. He's shown some good stuff, but he's also been really bad. So why are we doing this? Why? There's a clear, better choice. Why? Because I rap about philosophy and me and my dad are drinking a cup of tea. Ain't no rapper and ain't no party like a... Like my Nana's tea party. Party. Hey. How? Uh, I just looked down and got a notification. My microphone changed because I think my computer thinks I just broke it because of how fucking high pitched that was. Yeah, there you go. Or attempted to be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just very silly. And, you know, the Yankees have a lot of problems right now with players performing. I'm not going to sit here and say that the way the team is constructed is wrong. I don't think that's true. I think they have a a bunch of very talented people um, who are, fuck you, slowly starting to get back to themselves. And that's part of what makes it frustrating is that here's a guy who is getting back to like who he is and one of the few bright spots on the Yankees offense. And they're not giving him the most playing time they could be. And when the team is struggling the way they're struggling and they're struggling for the reasons they're struggling, not lack of talent, but the lack of performance, lack of execution to be sitting a guy who is performing and executing seems stupid. Dumb ass backwards back ass words. So fuck that shit. 
Um, any thoughts on uh, personal catcher Biz? Um, no, I still think it definitely has its place, and there are definitely you know situations and opportunities where they make a lot of sense. I just, again, I just don't think this particular case is one of those. Agreed. Now, Corwin, for the surprise final topic. Ooh, all these topics are surprise final topics. Yeah. Uh, we got some story time. I love stories. I had this as a topic quite literally a month and a half ago and forgot. So. Oh, that makes it so much more genuine because it I is, know it is not timely story. at all. Uh, <laughs> um, so when John Means threw the first no hitter for the Orioles, um, since 1969, um, there was one combined no-hitter in 1991, but we're ignoring that because who cares? Um, I decided to take a peek through the Orioles' no-hitters because I was like, hey, who else threw no-hitters for the Orioles? Okay. And I would like to tell you the tale of April 30th, 1967. Okay, a day in which, which we'll live in infamy. In which... The Baltimore Orioles threw a combined no-hitter and lost in nine innings, in regulation innings. I mean, I get the theory behind how such a thing is possible. I never thought such a goddamn wild... Never thought they'd do it. Yeah. (laughs) What? Okay, Josh, go ahead. So the Baltimore Orioles that day... Uh, we're going up against the Detroit Tigers. It was early in the season, April 30th. The Baltimore Orioles were coming into the game eight and six. The Detroit Tigers, nine and six. Or sorry, eight and seven, nine and six. So both teams off to okay starts. They're both doing what they got to do. Our starting pitcher matchup that day was Earl Wilson of the Detroit Tigers and Steve Barber for the Baltimore Orioles. And, uh, Let's get into their stat lines here, shall we? Um, so just for an overview of the stat lines, you can see how this kind of goes. Earl Wilson, who ends up picking up the win in this game, mind you, for the Tigers, eight innings pitched, two hits, one run, which was earned, four walks, four strikeouts. Okay. Um, and then after him in relief, Fred Gladding, who got the save, one inning pitched, one strikeout, nothing else. The Baltimore Orioles... Steve Barber, 8.2 innings pitched, zero hits, two runs, one of which was earned, three strikeouts, 10 walks. And then in relief of him, Stu Miller, who had 0.1 innings pitched with nothing that happened in that event. So let's get into it. So first inning. Detroit up to bat. Nothing exciting happens. Everybody makes an out except Mike Stanley, who gets the first walk of the day. Who gives a shit? Um, The Baltimore Orioles come up to bat. Nothing happens. They all ground out. And that kind of is the way it goes for most of the game. Not a lot really happens for, I mean, like the game. (laughs) It's 0-0 all the way until the top of the ninth. Sorry, the bottom of the eighth, I should say. Bottom of the eighth. So in the bottom of the eighth, Kurt Bleffery, that's right, 
our man. I love one of Corwin and Maya's favorite things to do is to read these old timey game logs to like just find the names. So Kurt Bleffery faces facing Earl Wilson again. Uh, Earl Wilson, the Detroit Tigers pitcher. So Orioles are batting. Kurt walks, and then Woody Held, which also sounds like a fake name because it makes it sound like it's Wood He Held, um, which makes it sound like some guy's jerking off or jerking somebody off. Um, but no, his name is Woody Held. Um, he bunts. Because again, late in the game, we got to play that small ball, 67. Um, so he ends up grounding out. Bleffery moves to second. Now Charlie Lau is pinch hitting for the catcher, Andy Etcherbaron. <laughs> God, love these names. Um, so Charlie Lau gets intentionally walked. And actually, hold on. I want to look up Charlie Lau because was he that fearsome that they had to intentionally walk him? Um. Over under for Charlie Lau's uh, OPS plus in 67. Um, I'll say 130 over or under. Uh, I'll say under. 1967, Charlie Lau was 34. Oh my God. His OPS plus was 59. Okay, that's really bad. What the fuck? Now, in the year before That's like it, hilariously bad. That's... Yeah, the the year before it, he only played eighteen games, so not a big sample size. But his OPS plus was three hundred six, so he only played eighteen games, but he raked. Um, yeah, nineteen sixty seven, fifty nine. So. That's not good. Anyway, continuing our tale. So now we got uh, before, men on first. Before and third. we continue on with the tale, you originally said this was April thirtieth, nineteen sixty nine. Oh, sorry, nineteen sixty seven. Right. I went there to that page on baseball reference and the Baltimore Orioles lost to the, the, the Detroit Tigers to nothing. And I was like, I do not understand how this is not the right game. And this is not adding up. I don't get it. And then you just said 67. And I went back and it's like, Oh, same date, two years prior, the Baltimore Orioles play the Detroit Tigers and, and lose to the Tigers. Gave up two, two runs. runs. Yeah. Baseball. Gotta love this stupid fucking sport. All right. So anyway, any who's, um, so Charlie Lau intentionally walks. We got runners on first and second. Steve Barber comes up. He walks. So now, bases loaded, one out. Luis Aparicio comes up. Fly ball. It's a sack fly. So Bleffery scores. Lau moves to third, advancing on an E nine. So the um, right fielder must have f- fucked up the throw. Is my guess. Uh, Barber goes to second. Um, so two outs, men on third, yeah, third and second. And then Russ Snatter comes up. He hits a fly ball to first base. Ending ends. Orioles have a lead. Orioles have the, yeah. the first score of the game goes to the Orioles. And it's awesome because their pitcher, Steve Barber, is up there throwing a no-hitter. So now he's got a chance to close it out, go home, eat uh, a, your steak and potatoes, die at 45, it's That's all so going right according to plan. <laughs> so, so Steve Barber comes up. His first batter of the bottom top of the ninth is Norm Cash. He walks Norm Cash, which he's been walking people all fucking day. So it's not a surprise. Drew Trasuski then pinch runs for Norm Cash at first base. So got a pinch runner on first. Ray Euler comes up. He also walks. 
So Trey Trey goes to second. Cash Oilers on first. Now Earl Wilson comes up. That's right. The pitcher Earl Wilson is batting in this game. Why is that? Because the designated hitter was not invented yet. So the pitcher had to bat, even though it's the American League. And what do they make the pitcher do? They make the pitcher do the thing they make all pitchers do. He bunts. He grounds out in a 3-2. Trasuski goes to third. Euler goes to second. So now we got one out, two on. And now we have a pinch hitter, Willie Horton, pinch hitting for Dick McAuliffe. God, these names are ridiculous. And Jake Wood is pinch running for Ray Euler. God, I wonder if we'll look back at the names from today's baseball and make fun of them as much. Um, So anyway, Willie Horton is now batting. He pops out a foul pop fly to the catcher. So now it's second and third, two outs, still no hits. Both runners got on from walks. They got moved over from the bunt and then the, uh, a foul pop fly. So now he's facing Mickey Stanley. Okay. Wild pitch, wild pitch thrown in the dirt. I would assume who knows, but Trasuski, the pinch runner, comes flying down the line, which makes his manager look like a genius um, to score and tie the game at one with um, fucking, what's his name? Wood, Wood, Jake Wood moving to third. So now we've got a runner on third, one in, two out, man on third. Steve Barber still in this game, trying to close it out, just get out of the inning, pitch your complete game-ish kind of deal, move along. Uh, and then he finishes out Mickey Stanley by walking him. That's right, folks. The 10th walk of the game. And at 10 walks, men on first and third, the Orioles manager said, that's enough. Brings in Stu Miller. Stu Miller comes in to face Don Wirt. Don Wirt grounds into a fielder's choice in which nobody made an out, <laughs> which means that Jake Wood scored on an unearned run. Um, as the, I, yeah, no one did anything. It was an E4. Oh, okay. So the second baseman, I guess, was supposed to have a, make a catch that he just didn't make to try to get an out somewhere. Uh, and no one got it. So there's your unearned run. And then Stu Miller gets Al Kaline of all people. Al Kaline is the last out. Hall of Fame batter Al Kaline. It's ridiculous. He's the only name I recognize in this entire ordeal. And he makes the <laughs> final out of this bullshit, stupid inning. Um, and then in the following in the bottom of the ninth um, with the trio coming up of Frank Robinson, Hall of Fame batter, Brooks Robinson, Hall of Fame batter, and Mike Epstein, um, nobody even gets fucking on base and the Baltimore Orioles lose their no hitter. Well, keep the no hitter, but lose the game two to one on just some bullshit while also managing to throw a combined no hitter. This is so fucking wild. So obviously, like I'm sitting here, I'm following along, like I'm reading along with how all this went down. I'm getting curious about Steve Barber. I look at his stats. This happened in 1967, coming off a 1966 all-star season, which he had a 2-3 ERA. I just, he gave up 104 hits in 133 innings pitched gave up or had 91 strikeouts and only walked 49 people. 
He had 20% of his entire walks from the previous season in this one outing. Finished with 115 over 172 innings pitched that year. I mean, it's... What a character. Oh, <sighs> halfway through 1967, he got traded to the Yankees. The Yankees saw this game and were like, I want him. We need that man. We need, we need those him. walks. Hell yeah. I mean, what a fucking just journey. I, I, I mean, this. this was such a great game to go with, go through. Yeah, right. What a find. Thanks, Wikipedia. Um, the teams would go on. The 1967 Detroit Tigers would go 91 and 71. They'd finish second in the American League. Um, and was there actually playoffs at this point? I believe there was. Um, schedule and results. Did they go to the playoffs? I don't see playoffs, so I guess playoffs. they didn't. Yeah. Playoffs? I wonder when the first playoffs? championship series was at. Anyway, uh, the Baltimore Orioles finished 76 and 85. That is was sixth in the American League that year. Um, not great. It's not great. Yeah, the uh, the Tigers finished one game back of Boston for the um, American League pennant. Um, the Orioles finished middle of the road. Just better than the Washington Senators, Cleveland Indians, New York Yankees, and Kansas City Athletics. But uh, both teams shared this experience. The Baltimore Orioles lose a game in which they pitched a no-hitter. I'm glad shit like this exists. You know, like theoretically, we all knew it could happen. But I'm glad it has. You know, you know what else is interesting? How many, how many double plays do you think there were in this game? No idea. Two, one on each side. Hmm. In a shutout I don't like know how this, common they are. Well, that's what I say. In a shutout performance, an eight-inning shutout, I guess, basically between the two sides. In a game, in an era in which small ball was way more prevalent than today's, I would mm-hmm. expect more double plays than that. But I guess, yeah. I feel like two is not really an aberration, but it still seems significantly with, like, smaller than it should be. With 10 walks coming from just the one side, like that's a lot of base runners. You know, there was, there's a lot of double play opportunities in there. Right. Uh, and then how many did uh, the other guy chuck? Um, yeah, so 14 walks altogether. I mean, that's a lot of double play opportunities. But, You're not wrong, sir. Yeah, hey, what the fuck do we know? Not much, I'll tell you that. Not much. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, that's all I got. I wanted to share that fun story. Sorry, I forgot about it for like a month and a half. Hey, <laughs> um, it came back. That's fun. That's all that matters. I'm just going to start sharing news headlines from 2016 um, and act like they just happened. That's that's what we're going to start doing since uh, I can't keep my shit straight. Oh, well. Uh, You got anything else before we wrap it up? No. Can you roll your R's? No. Let me hear hear an attempt. (laughs) No. I can't. That was a genuine <laughs> attempt. I don't know how to do it.
That's okay. I, I, they say it's genetic and I don't know why you would, I don't know how it's genetic and I don't know why I would have that gene. Yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? Got, like my people do not need to roll somewhere. their, I don't, I've seen the, I've seen the genetics tests. No, just, just straight Ashkenazi Jew and Irish. That's all I got. Just, just down the middle. But anyway. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. All right, so we will wrap it up. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Choosing Pod. If you want to hit up Corwin Heller, you can do so at No, do not Corwin hit Heller. Corwin Heller. If you want to hit up Corwin Heller, go for, go for it. No, you should hit Corwin Heller. If you'd like to hit up me, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. And if you'd like to send us emails, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all...